My name is Andrew Mitchell, and you're listening to Don't Mess With Nature, a series of podcasts where we look at how we can get the world into a better state of equilibrium between financial capital and natural capital. Well, on today's podcast, I thought I would just tell you a little bit where am I coming from in all this and, and what's framed my thinking. I started off life in the island of Jersey, a little tiny tiny rock off the coast of France, about 160 miles south of Britain. And I spent most of my time in a zoo there that was run by Gerald Durrell. He was an amazing naturalist. And he was the first guy who ever got endangered species into a zoo and said, I'm going to breed them and put them back in the wild. In those days, zoos were just a places for entertainment. Let's have a laugh and look at the animals. Well, of course, Jerry Durrell was a brilliant uh, visionary. And today, many of the creatures that he has saved, uh, he's brought back from the edge of extinction. And uh, he has proved that some of them can be literally put back in the wild. Well, that problem today has grown into a gigantic problem where the endangered species is, is in a way, the whole planet. And uh, one of the things we've come to realise is that um, if you look back over time, the planet doesn't really need us as humans. Uh, we need the planet. Uh, there have been several times, five times in fact, when huge extinctions have occurred on Earth. Uh, almost 90% of all life on Earth has disappeared in the past and reinvented itself. Uh, we've been around only about three million years as humans, and yet in a very short time, or in, in, in last sort of uh, very short time, uh, what's been called the Anthropocene, we've really taken over the whole Earth and we're completely changing it. We're harnessing everything to do with the world and turning it for our own use. And that has consequences. They're a big cost. And so uh, what I talk about is that it's that balance between financial capital, which is going up, up, up in our banks, pension funds, insurers, big businesses. Uh, but natural capital is going down, down, down. And sooner or later, we hit the buffers on that sort of thing. It's not going to be able to work. And a very good example of that that we're living through right now is COVID-19, which is a, a terrible disease, a microbe that lives harmlessly in animals and has suddenly broken out, uh, creating a time bomb around the world, uh, which is probably going to cost the world some $10 trillion in costs if you try and put, put the economy right. And I've talked about that in one of my other podcasts. So where did my thinking come from here? I started out life as a zoologist. And uh, I spent uh, a lot of time in rainforests. Uh, I'm very privileged to have uh, climbed high mountains, dived into caves, looked at uh, oceans, been right across the South Pacific, spent a lot of time in the savannas of East Africa. And I think uh, one of the things you learn when you do that, when you visit some of the most unexplored parts of the world, when they were unexplored, back in the late 70s and through the 80s, is that um, you see the world as it used to be. If you take Borneo, for instance, in 1978, I remember looking out over the summit of Mount Mulu, which is the second highest mountain in Borneo. And I take me three days to go up there. Uh, we were only second or third party to get to the top. Uh, that place was almost unexplored in those days. You can't really imagine. It took us three days to paddle in canoes up the Melanau River to get in to the reserve. There was no reserve. It was just an area of jungle. And when I got to the top of that mountain with a scientific team, we looked out 
it was an ocean of green everywhere as far as we could see it was green it was all rainforest well today if you go up there and look out again from that mountain it's still all green but it's not rainforest it's palm oil plantations there are golf courses at the foot of the mountain hotels airstrips the whole place in my lifetime has completely changed much of borneo looks like a bonsai because of the conversion of forests for agriculture it's often unsustainable agriculture and uh, it, it hasn't worked it was designed to feed people or make money or it was due to illegal logging people could sell the timber in the black market maybe plant a palm oil plantation and uh, create prosperity actually for a lot of people but often a very small number of people who got very very rich but uh, today millions of people millions and millions of people are involved in the palm oil industry and it's very been very successful at getting some of them out of poverty but at a massive cost for wildlife and for biodiversity so all around the world i've seen this change just like an inexorable bulldozer going across our world i felt a bit like a salmon in an estuary imagine a big wide estuary where there i was as a young 20 year old zoologist uh, actually, I spent a lot of my time up in the canopies of rainforests, which had never been explored before. We, I was a, one of the first people to build aerial walkways through the rainforest roof, and that would be the subject of another podcast, perhaps. But imagine a salmon. You start with all these ideas, and you spend your life swimming up river. Forty years I've been swimming up that river, trying to persuade people that, that we're going to hit the buffers on nature if we don't change what we're doing. And I'm not the only one. Hundreds of scientists, hundreds of people who've been trying to do this for decades. But I'm getting up to the headwaters now. And what I find after 40 years, I'm right up in the shallows, right up in that headwater. And you realize it's all about the movement of money. It's all about the money. And how do we make our money matter? So what do we mean? What do I mean about the movement of money? Well, sometimes I've said that Unless we change the movement of money, we'll continue to finance ourselves into extinction. And, and I really believe that. And what do I mean by that? Well, you see, what's happened in the finance industry over the last 20 years, they've done a really good job about dissociating ourselves from our own money. When you put your money into a bank and your savings go in there, what you really want is you want to know your interest rates and you want to know I can get my money out when I need it. You don't really ask what's the bank doing with the money, your money, when it's in the bank. Same with a pension fund. If you, you know, you, those of you who are lucky enough to have pension funds, you, you stick all that money in the pension fund. It goes in every month. There's some payments in there. But, and, and somebody's told you, this is, these are the funds you should put it in. But once you've made the decision, you forget about it for years, for decades. Well, what's happening with that money? And is it doing the right thing by nature? Is it? financing the right kinds of things now it might be financing things which are profitable because that's the main duty of care for a pension fund manager it must be able to pay out to look after you in your old age but as one chinese pension fund manager said to me recently he said what's the point of having a pension fund if when it pays out you can't breathe the air and that's our dilemma isn't it what's the point of our pension fund paying out and we've got a destroyed planet. So part of what I'm trying to do in these podcasts, part of my thinking now, bringing together all my knowledge of natural capital, is to figure out how we can get this better state of equilibrium 
between financial capital and natural capital. And that has driven me in those headwaters right up at the top of the river to work with the financial sector itself. In 2012 in Brazil, uh, it was the time for the Earth Summit. The Earth Summit happens every four years and is a great gathering together of everybody thinking about the environment. In 2012, I thought, do you know what? The finance sector never shows up at this. Uh, how can we get them involved? So I thought, well, let's create a flag around which the financial sector could rally. And what's that? So I was sitting on this rock off Jersey and I, I worked with a friend of mine. We composed something called the Natural Capital Declaration. What about that? That sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, well, it was a declaration, a challenge to the finance sector to start thinking about natural capital in their investments and lending. And uh, we launched this uh, in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And it was kind of weird because suddenly it became the go-to event that everybody wanted to come to. We had heads of state, ministers, heads of big companies, heads of finance. We had television cameras cramming in the room. We had protesters waving banners. So I thought, we're onto something here. It was this first time we started to bring the financial sector together to start thinking about its responsibilities for nature. I'd never really thought about that. You just want to make money, make sure your pension pays out. And climate change was beginning to kick off. People starting to think about that. You know, what's the point of financing all this coal and oil and everything if it's destroying our atmosphere? That's crazy. Well, yeah, but what about financing all the stuff that's destroying nature? Our oceans, coral reefs, the land. We had to start thinking about that too. So what did I find the reaction was in the financial sector to that idea? Well, initially, of course, it was a big yawn. Oh, this is all a bit complicated. Um, not sure it's really relevant to us. What they, a word they use is material to us. Uh, financial sector guys said, well, it's, it's non-material. What does that mean? It means it doesn't really show up in a share price of a company that I'm investing in. I mean, look, you can convert to rainforest turn it into a palm oil plantation. When I look at that company, it's a buy. That company is hugely profitable. The cost of destroying the, the rainforest doesn't appear in the share price of the company. So let's carry on. And that's our big problem, isn't it? It's what economists call externalities. And that's something we're really going to have to deal with in the next decade. You see, no one really takes responsibility for these things called externalities in our economic system. What happens is that uh, it's called private profits and public costs. So that we don't pay the true cost of things that we buy in the shops. If you go into a supermarket and you buy an ice cream that's got palm oil in it, I'm sorry to keep going on palm oil, it could be, let's say it's a, a, some chicken that's come from Thailand, it's been fed on soy from the Amazon, or it could be a beef that you're enjoying, uh, or bacon that might be coming from the Netherlands. Well, those pigs, chickens, cows are fed on soy that's coming from the Amazon. And soy is a major link of soy to deforestation in the Amazon. The first cause of deforestation in the Amazon is actually cattle, uh, the cattle industry, which uh, needs a lot of land. They cut down the trees, they put the cows on it, grass grows for three years, and then the forest is not much good, the land's not much good, so they sell to the soy barons who clear off the last trees and set up these prairies with vast amounts of soy. And the biggest trade in that is coming over to Europe and to China to feed our chicken, pigs and cows to make meat that we all eat and buy in the supermarket. 
Well, the cost of the rainforest, the destruction of the rainfall system, the degradation of the soil, the increasing temperatures, the appalling human rights abuses and everything that goes on in the front line of that sort of wild west industry out there. When you go into your shop and buy it, it's not in the cost, is it? None of it is. You buy a nice steak that's been fed on soy from the Amazon. You don't even know whether it has or has not been fed on the soy. And the farmers often don't even know themselves. It's all coming into the Hague in the Netherlands and they get to sort it out into cattle feed and stuff like that. So these are things that are called externalities, these costs that are out there. And it's a really difficult thing to deal with in the economy. So who has the responsibility for really dealing with that? Is it the farmer? Is it the trader? Is it the uh, financier? Ultimately, it comes down to regulation. It comes down to governments because they have to set the rules that the financial sector works with. Uh, it's like a football game, isn't it? You know, everybody's playing by the rules. If you want to change the game, you have to change the rules because everybody will get away with as much as they can within the rules. That's just a way a game is played. So, and what we have here is that rules are different everywhere around the world, and the rules dealing with nature almost don't exist. There's nowhere out there in the financial system that is saying from a central bank regulatory point of view, you have got to account for, report on, disclose what you're doing to nature in your annual reporting as a financial institution, a bank, an insurer or investor. Nobody's really calling for that except in one country, and that's France. France in Article 173 is calling for biodiversity to be included in the annual reporting of financial institutions. This is revolutionary. It's only come in the last year, but it's just a beginning. And unless we do that, the financial sector plays by its own rules and we therefore need ultimately to change regulation. My thinking is that having you know, worked with governments own about 70% of the forests in the world actually, and um, we have watched a kind of car crash happen in my lifetime uh, and seeing what the rollback of nature it's just like watching a car crash in slow motion now you can document that you can collect lots of data and say there's a car crash happening but it doesn't do anything to change a car crash you're just watching it and collecting data and that's sort of what the science community has been doing we've been reporting on this report so if you want to change the car, you have to change the rules by which that car is made. So it's got to have better brakes or a different engine or big bumpers around it so it protects people. But ultimately, you may want to say, well, we've got to stop the cars going so fast. Uh, because what tends to happen is we say, well, let's put some bumpers on and better tyres and let's all keep driving just as fast. And so you still get the car crashes. Uh, and maybe what you have to do is say, you've got to slow down. So it's all of this kind of thing is that kind of thinking seems to me has to come into nature but to make it work what i i think we need to do is to make nature visible because in our economy today nature and its dependency we have on it and the impact we have on it through our financial system is almost invisible so how do we make nature's role in our economy visible to a bank to a pension fund to an insurer, to you and me. How do we do that? Well, 
Let's take climate. How do we do it with climate? What seemed to happen with climate was for a long time, people would say, oh, well, it's uh, going to be a long time coming. It's not really real. Uh, and we're just playing by our rules and government's never really going to get to grips with it until 2015. What happened then is that the Paris Agreement was signed after years of working on climate change rules and how to uh, create a sort of legal framework to deal with climate change. Surprise, surprise, over 200 governments actually signed up and agreed on something for the first time, the brilliance of French diplomacy. And guess what? We had the Paris Agreement. So that sent a bit of a ripple around the financial world because I suddenly thought, you know what? Governments might actually, actually do something about this. And then if you're a pension fund, that could mean something really scary. And it's called stranded assets. Oh, what have I got in my pension fund? I've got a whole lot of oil assets here. I've got a whole lot of coal assets here. What's going to happen to them if governments suddenly ban fossil fuel emissions or really start to reduce them? Does that mean all my shares that I have in those companies are going to tank? I might not even be able to offload them on somebody else who hasn't woken up yet. That's called a stranded asset. And so financial institutions are really looking at that very, very carefully now. And uh, the results of the the result of the uh, the Paris Agreement is there's a big bet out. One bet says they're never going to be able to change fast enough. The world needs cheap energy, particularly in developing countries. You in Europe, well, you can carry on uh, getting rid of coal, getting rid of oil, but the rest of the world is going to need it. So we're going to be fine. So the oil company. Coal, coal has tanked in the US. Uh, a lot of these companies have gone bust, a lot of their assets have been stranded, and uh, you know, billions of dollars have been lost because people did not move fast enough out of coal. And suddenly, renewable energy is almost as cheap, and in fact, cheaper than producing energy from coal. Goodbye, coal. Hello, renewables. That's what happens out there in finance. So the market is beginning to change. The governments are beginning to tighten the noose and the financial sector is beginning to move. That's for climate. And one of the things that really helped that in recent years was something called the TCFD, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. Well, what was that? There's a guy called Mark Carney. He was the governor of the Bank of England. Another guy called Michael Bloomberg, who had a lot of terminals through which people collect data on financial transactions around the world. These two people came together like champions to say, we've got to have a framework for reporting on climate for the finance sector. So they've got to understand it, get the right data, create a framework, and then start to report on, are you financing the destruction of our atmosphere? I mean, that's a pretty scary question, isn't it? Who wants to go to work today and say, do you know what I'm doing? I'm financing the destruction of our atmosphere. That's cool, isn't it? I'm making lots of money, but we can't breathe. Nobody wants that, but that's what's happening. And this framework has helped uh, asset managers who deploy our money in different places to begin to understand that. So what we need is a new task force, this time a task force for nature-related financial disclosure. And in my next uh, podcast, I'll be talking about that. You've been listening to Andrew Mitchell and Don't Mess With Nature. Join me as we try to find a better state of equilibrium between natural capital and financial capital.